Hey, and welcome to the Humanity Church Podcast. So excited that you're here. We hope that you enjoy this week's talk and it really connects to your life in a meaningful way. If you're live in the Pomona area, we would love to have you at one of our gatherings at 10 a.m. or at one of our humanity groups that meet all throughout the week all over the city. If you want more information about our community, you can go to www.humanitychurch.com or download our app on your phone on Apple or Android. If you like what you're hearing here and want to continue to support the ongoing work at Humanity, you can text the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977 and give back financially in just about 10 seconds. Hey, and here's this week's talk that was given live at our Sunday gathering at Humanity Church. Uh, Jesus, thank you for this morning. Uh, Jesus, I just admit I'm tired today and I know, I know others are. And I just ask that you would, you would come right now and that your spirit would uh, infuse us, that you would uh, move through this conversation, that as your word is spoken, that you would transform our hearts and our minds, that our ears would hear what we need to hear, that our eyes would see what we need to see, God, so that we might become more like you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been going through uh, this book called Enhanced that I wrote, and it's based on this passage in 2 Peter that we've been reading every week, but here we go again. It says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins." This conversation really is, how do I move from a life that is informed by corruption and moving towards destruction, and how do I step into my divine nature and step into the life that God has designed me for? And I know that every single one of us have that drive, whether you're aware of it or not. You have this drive to remove yourself from the inevitable destruction that is coming towards the life that you are called to live. But it is a way to know God in this space that we might move that forward. And now faith is the way. That's the way that we move forward. It's, it's believing in the unseen. It's evidence for the things that are in front of us that we cannot see with our physical eyes. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is what we're putting our faith in moving us towards the person that we are called to be? Every single one of us are a person of faith. The question is, what are we putting our faith in and is it moving us forward? And so What Peter tells us here is that we are called to enhance our faith. We're to take the little faith that we have. We only need just a tiny bit, as much as a mustard seed, Jesus says. And we are to enhance it so that it can move us into this space. Now, how many of you take vitamins? Anyone in the room take vitamins? Yeah, we take vitamins because we're not getting what we need from our food. I know that's hard to believe in today's age, right? But we take vitamins because we supplement what we're already taking in to make sure that we have everything that we need to move us towards the life that we are physically called to be. In the same way, we take supplements for our faith. You can think of this as vitamins, as spiritual vitamins to help move your life forward. And there's an order to them. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this is really a conversation around what it looks like to supplement our faith. To, to move it towards the life that we are called to. And Peter gives us this list, like I said, that builds on each other. And it starts by enhancing our faith with goodness, meaning that we engage faith from the perspective that God is good. Now, I want to be clear that this does not mean that everything is good. Because I think Christians at times are guilty of looking out at the world through rose-colored lenses. And just say, oh, you know, it's all good. And, and it's, it's always, it's, it makes me cringe a little bit when... when Bad things happen, and people say things like, well, you know, God's going to use it. Or they say things like, well, you know, God has a plan. And sometimes it's like, no, this was not in God's plan, that this evil, horrible thing happened. Now, here's the thing. While everything may not be good, God can use it for good. That is the truth. 
He can take anything and use it for good. And so he is moving things around in our lives like puzzle pieces to bring out this larger picture that we cannot currently see. And when we believe that God is on our half working for us for good, it shifts how we engage faith. Because when we can see that God is good, we can then actually put our faith in him. And so we take our goodness that we have now supplemented and we add knowledge to our goodness so that our feelings, when they arise and they tell us that whatever is happening is not good and there is not a possibility for goodness, we can subjugate them to what we know to be true. So when our feelings arise and they say, God's not good, he doesn't got this, I'm in a mess, this is never going to turn out, we can say, no, 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 I actually know the promises that are in front of me. I know the things that God has spoken over my life, and my feelings do not have to drive who I am. See, if knowledge is power, then there is a responsibility that is given with that knowledge. And the responsibility that comes with knowing is controlling our impulses to move us forward with that knowledge. Well, once I know how to live, then I am responsible to take that knowledge to control myself so that I can move my life towards that space. See, it's not enough just to know the right things. You actually have to control your life, your behavior, your actions, your words, to move your life towards the destination that you know to be true. And last week, we talked about how anyone can have self-control for a moment. It is not hard to have self-control for a day, a week, even a month. But it's actually difficult to control yourself over a lifetime, for sustained periods of time. This is where perseverance kicks in. When self-control becomes difficult, that's where we actually have to step into perseverance. See, because self-control is doing the right thing over and over and over and over again. Perseverance is doing the right thing over and over and over again, even when it's hard even when we don't want to, even when everything around us says, you need to quit, you need to give up, this is not for you. Perseverance is that thing that says, no, I choose to keep moving. And it's what allows you to weather the storm that's in front of you. See, you can't persevere until you have decided to control yourself, and you cannot control yourself until you know what needs to be controlled, and knowledge does not do any good unless you know that that knowledge is good, and the only reason why you would step into that space of goodness is to have your faith in something. So they have all, these are all interconnected with one another. And so today, it's actually one of my favorite supplements, that we add godliness to our perseverance. So you would think it would just end with perseverance, like you just persevere, you persevere, you persevere, and you get through on the other side, but that's not actually how this works. See, moving through the thing requires us to engage faith in the first place. Whatever life throws at us requires us to have faith to move through it, but we are to add godliness to our persevering. Now, godliness is kind of like this big religious word that we don't often use in in our everyday language, but... Really at the core, godliness is becoming like God. God invites us into this God-likeness with our lives, with our attitudes, with our action. And he invites us to take on his characteristics. He invites us to take on his likeliness. He invites us to take on his attributes, becoming God-like. And our life becomes a place where we reflect him. I love how... Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 10. This is what he says to us. He says, But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, I don't know about you, but this sounds like a losing proposition. That that no one knows the the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So how on earth are we supposed to become God-like if no one knows the thoughts of God except God himself? I mean, imagine if I just said, hey, I want all of you to become like me, which is a horrible invitation. But, (laughs) But if I just said, hey, I want all of you to become like me, but you are going to have no access to my thoughts you're, you're going to have no access to what I believe, how I think, how I engage the world. It's going to be a very difficult process for you to become like me. Because in that space, 
you will only have my behavior to inform you about who I am and how I'm called to be. See, you actually only really know someone based on their thoughts. Because, yes, their behavior is driven by their thoughts, but until you know how someone thinks and why they do the things they do and what informs them and what motivates them and what intrinsically inspires them and what is at the core of who they are, it's impossible to actually know someone, let alone become like them. So all you can do is, is mimic them. You can only imitate them in some way, shape, or form. See, I spent a good chunk of my younger years thinking that I was going to be an actor, studying acting. And part of taking on the role of a character is getting in the mindset of the character that you are portraying. And so, so you can read the words, and you can read all of the descriptions of that character and what they're like and who they are, and you can make inferences about how they might say things or how they might interact or what their intrinsic motivation is based on what they say. But you as an actor are really left with nothing but their words, and you have to make a lot of decisions about how you're going to play that character because you don't ever get to meet them. See, it's actually difficult to become like someone when they're invisible, and do you ever feel like it's a setup when God says, become like me, and then you can't see him? Like, you have no idea what he would do in a certain situation. You know, I, you have no idea how he would respond. I mean, heck, he's God, right? And so it seems like a losing proposition to say, hey, become like me, but only the Spirit of God knows my thoughts. And what we do is we fill in the gaps. We fill in the gaps with what we imagine God might do, how he might interact, how he might respond. And with this, we have all kinds of ideas about what it means to be God-like. Now, thanks to our roots in the Reformation, in the church, we have this belief that knowledge is like the highest law. That if I obtain the right amount of knowledge about God, then somehow I've arrived that if I study him, and if I engage theology around him, and if I get all the right answers, then somehow this makes me like him. As if God was really more interested about us memorizing and then sermonizing about him than anything else, that that would be the pathway to becoming like him. See, this would be like me sitting down with Jackson on a regular basis and say, all right, Jackson, recite to me what good character looks like. And he looks at me and he says, all right, Dad, well, good character looks like sharing with my brother, and good character looks like being honest, and it looks like not lying, and it looks like serving other people, and it looks like giving my life courageously away and risking, and I'd be like, good. And then I turn away and have no interest in how he behaves. And I have him like, hey, he walks away and he steals from his brother and he goes over and he lies to his mom and he goes over here and he does whatever he does and then he's a coward in situations. And I'd be like, hey, but he was able to recite everything. Yes. Amen. He was able to repeat everything. That has to mean something, right? Yeah. See, so oftentimes Christianity is defined as a movement about what we know, yes. not actually how we live yeah. and how we engage the world around us. I remember I was at a friend's house in D.C. a few years back, and they were disciplining their kids. And it was so fascinating to watch because their kids would disobey or talk back or something like that. And they had this phrase that they used with their kids. And so they would make their kids repeat the statement when they had acted up or when they were being uh, knuckleheads. And it was this. They would have to say, I submit immediately with a joyful heart. But the kids would do this. I submit immediately with a joyful heart. And the, the dad would be like, good job, son. I'm like, yeah, I don't actually think that's what you're looking for. See, because you got him to repeat the words, but nothing's actually transformed. In fact, he's probably more bitter now than when he started because he had to repeat the stupid thing in front of them. But see, this is what religion does to us. It actually calls us to behave in a certain way without having a change of heart. And so we're so concerned with, how, how do I do this? How do I behave my way through this? How do I act my way through this? I just got to white knuckle my way through this. I just got to persevere because what God wants me to do is to perform for him. And the whole time he's like, actually, I'm not interested in that. 
I'm interested in a transformation of who you are so that the actions come naturally, so that the response comes naturally, so that when there is a moment where you screw up, your response isn't, I will submit right away with a joyful heart. Your response is, oh, I've missed the godlike life that I was called to, so I shift in that moment. See, religion always cares about the externals over the internals. Now, there's a huge problem that we find ourselves here when we decide to start supplementing our perseverance with godliness. Because the scriptures are clear about the human condition, the default human condition. And I, I know people want to get away from this, but actually this is the most convincing part of scripture that I read <laughs> of everything. The scriptures say that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Which means that every single one of us missed the mark when it comes to our godlikeness. Now, let me just tell you, I interact with a lot of human beings that are like Mother Teresa status, right? And I can tell you, they have yet to reach godlike status. I have never met a human being that's like, yeah, I've arrived, right? That all of us have fallen short of this mark that God has for us. The scriptures say there is no right, there is no one that is righteous, not a single one. And so we are called to live this godlike life, and yet every single one of us struggle with this reality that we fall short of the glory of God. See, here's the thing. Knowledge is worthless if our souls are corrupt. Yeah. Knowing the right thing is worthless if our character cannot sustain that knowledge. It's like saying, I know what it means to be healthy while having cancer eat away at you. Right. It's like saying, I know. I, I look, I'm, I'm working out, and I'm eating healthy, but meanwhile, the inside of you is eating away at itself that has very little value in the long run. So how do we actually live that out? I'm glad you asked. Paul continues. So he says, who can know the mind of God except the spirit of God? But then he says this, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man takes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. And then he says this, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. See, here's the powerful thing, is that the moment that you decide to connect to Jesus, the moment that you submit your life to him, your spirit is brought back to life by the spirit of God. And so now, living within you, within your soul, is the very same spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead. The same mind of Christ that the Spirit of God is talking about here. And you now have access to the entire database of the thoughts of God when you connect to him. See, this is why Peter, when he starts out this whole movement, he informs us that you have been given everything you need. Now, this does not mean that you have a bank account filled with a million dollars. This doesn't mean that your kids are going to act exactly the way they need to. This doesn't mean that your boss is going to get his act together and your life is going to be beautiful. It means that you have access to everything you need because you have now access to the database of the creator of the universe within you. And that transforms everything. See, if you miss this along the way, God has generously given us everything we need. You are never without, including the very thoughts of God himself. And this is what transforms everything. How many of you are old enough to remember not having a smartphone? Yes? I mean, I mean I'm the guy who like went through pager status, right? You know, I, I, I remember that. I thought I was so cool having my pager as a sophomore in high school, but there was a time when we did not have this machine in our pocket that gave us access to anything that we needed to know, right? And I I'm, I'm old enough to remember having a bookshelf in my house with the World Book Encyclopedia on it, yes? Anyone else remember those things? You, I'm just telling you, just imagine your mind opening those things up. You can smell them, can't you? 
they had a very distinct smell. And I remember when I needed to know something, I would pull out the World Book Encyclopedia and hope to God that whatever I needed to know was in there. And somehow, it was in there. Because that was the limited knowledge that I had available to me in that space. But now, now in our pocket, we literally have access to anything you want to know about. And I mean anything you want to know about is available in your pocket. Now, we live in a generation now when we do not have access to that. We are completely lost. Like, I cannot communicate to my three-year-old When the internet goes down, what is happening? Because they don't understand. Wait, we no longer have infinite access to everything that I need? We we no longer have infinite access to the internet, to, to all of the games, to all of the knowledge, to all of the things that we need? No, it is now no longer available to us because it is going along. Now, it is impossible to have access to all of that information without being connected to the internet, without having that phone. But with it, you have everything you need. Just the other day, I was sitting outside waiting for someone to get out of an appointment, and I was like, you know what? How do they breed octopuses? And so I started looking up the breeding patterns of the giant Pacific octopus. And let me tell you, they have not been able to do it yet, but someday they're going to. They are making breakthrough science with the octopus because, hey, if I wanted to know the mating habits of the giant Pacific octopus, I can because I have it in my pocket because I have access to anything that I want to know about at any given time. See, it is impossible to live a godly life apart from a connection with Jesus. That when you have him, you're literally like, I have everything I need. There is never a moment when you're like, oh man, I'm without, I don't have it, things are messed up, this is incapable of being transformed. You have everything you need. Now, here's the thing. This is not God attempting to manipulate you into relationship. This isn't God like, hey, come over here. I'll give you everything you need. Do this or else. See, because when I talk about this with people who don't know God or who people who are just beginning to get introduced to a connection with Jesus, oftentimes it sounds very exclusionary, like small-mindedness. Like, why is it Jesus and why can't it be anything else? See, this is like Jesus saying, I have paid so that you can have access to everything you need. All of my characteristics, the entire database of the mindset of the God of the universe, it is all available to you. And this is why it is not exclusionary. See, this would be like us saying, hey, I get a phone call from the lottery, and they say, I want a million bucks. And they say, you know what, you just need to come down and pick it up. That's all you have to do. You literally just have to come down and claim your million dollars from the lottery and saying, you know what, I really appreciate your offer. But I think I'm also going to check out the bingo lodge down the street just to make sure that, like, I didn't also win something from there. And I might drop by 7-Eleven and get some scratchers, too, because I don't want to be exclusionary, right? Hello, the lottery is the only place you're going to get that million dollars, right? It's not a matter of exclusionary. It's a matter of who has actually created access for you. And so when Jesus says, I have come so that you could have access to the mind of Christ, he is saying, I have done this for you. No one else is providing what I am attempting to provide for you. So this is not an exclusionary conversation. It's an invitation into your destiny, into the future that he has called you into. Now, here's the thing. Our human default, though, is to want to play God rather than to become God-like. And there's a difference between the two of those things. See, it's like we were designed to want to be masters of our own universe. Marla's been speaking at a retreat this weekend up in Pismo Beach, and I have been alone with the kids all weekend, which is why I'm a little tired this morning. <laughs> and I have been alone with the kids, and, and, I, and I, I kid you not, yesterday morning, I'm sitting there watching TikTok, Jackson's on his iPad. I was going to say which kid it was, but it was Jackson. And, uh, <coughs> and Jackson just looks at me and he goes, you have not gotten me my juice yet. I was like, oh, I see how this is, right? There wasn't like even an inquiry of like, hey, could you get me my juice? Or, or hey, would it be okay? Could you, could you interrupt your social media for a minute to get me my juice? There was just an expectation, like, why have you not getting my, gotten me my juice yet, servant, right? <laughs> because from his mindset, 
He is the master of the universe, and everything revolves around him, right? There, there, wasn't, there wasn't even like, a, like an ounce of insecurity in his statements. He was just like, where's my juice, fool, right? And you know what I thought? I, actually, I, thought, I laughed at what he said. It. I probably shouldn't have laughed. But I laughed when he said that because I thought, we do not grow out of that. <laughs> I thought, as silly as that is and as much as that need to be disciplined out of him, I actually thought, we don't ever grow out of that mindset, that we just get better at hiding that and manipulating it. We, did, we develop all kinds of tactics to continue playing that role, to stay in control, to have our needs met, to make sure that our life is comfortable, to make sure that things are within the parameters of our control, to stay comfortable. And we become competitors with God rather than those who submit to him to take on his God-likeness. And we start testing our will against his to see who can be the greater God. And then we wonder why we find ourselves in losing situations when we find ourselves competing with him. Here's the crazy thing about this whole dynamic is that God is not withholding his godlikeness from us. That God is actually actively inviting us to share in his godlikeness. He is saying, "Hey, I am not holding anything. In fact, I have given you everything you need to become godlike. But it requires you laying down this fantasy that one day you will become a god to submit to him to start taking on the godlikeness that you were made for. So that you could actually start stepping into that. And in the process of us submitting to him and becoming like him, he gives us his spirit, his power, his love, his self-control, so that we could be created to step into the image that we were made for as image bearers. But it requires us laying down, competing with him, and wanting to be him. So that we could submit to him and become like him. See, what if he was inviting us into godliness, godlikeness with him, rather than trying to take something away from us? See, what if God was actually setting you up for something greater than you fighting to become him? That he was inviting you into the life that you long for in the middle of this. So what does any of this have to do with perseverance, right? <laughs> Well, why does this get connected to this conversation about perseverance? Why add godliness to perseverance? Now, here's the thing. Up until now, you can supplement your faith on your own. Like, it really does not require anything beyond yourself. Now, it requires you, if you're going to do it well, to look to Jesus, to invite him into it. But really, it does not require God to transform your perspective. You can do that on your own towards goodness. Anyone can open the scriptures and start proclaiming the promises of God over their lives. In fact, it's some of the things I love the most when, when atheists or people who are disconnected from Jesus start engaging biblical principles, and they're like, oh, this works. Because it works. <laughs> it's how the universe was set up. You, you can control yourself. That's what it's called, self-control. And you can even do a pretty good job at persevering. You, you, can, you can do it. You can do it hard. It doesn't actually require anything. These principles work, period. But now... Once we hit this point, it actually requires something outside of yourself. It actually requires you to tap into an external source beyond just persevering. See, when you think about it, persevering is noble, but it's really not that noble in the end game. It's a noble attribute as a human being to, to persevere, but it doesn't exactly make sense outside of the context of a vision for your life. See, because if you don't have something that's worth persevering for on the other side, persevering by itself doesn't make sense. It would actually make way more sense to just stay in comfort. It would actually just, it would, it would make way more sense to just find pleasure or to feel good. That makes way more sense than putting yourself through the ringer to persevere. Persevering for perseverance sake is a bit masochistic, right? Just saying, I'm going I'm to persevere, Right? You have to have a vision on the other side of that that's worth persevering through. But there are also times in your life where you just have to persevere because you're thrust into it. Where you lose a job. And suddenly now you're persevering through financial difficulties. There, there are times where, where you lose someone and you just get to persevere through grief. 
There are times when the world gets flipped upside down and you don't like the new world that you find yourself in. And so you find yourself just having to persevere in the middle of this. And there is always, of course, a way out of that type of perseverance, but it will hurt you and other people in the long run. And we can all look back on our life and see events that have shaped us, yes? We can look back and say, oh, that moment was a, had a defining impact on the, the woman or the man that you became. That, that circumstance had a defining impact on the way that your life is moving forward. And that's what perseverance is actually designed to do. It's designed to shape us. It's designed to, to transform us in some way, shape, or form. It's actually one of the only things that shapes us after age 18. I mean, if you think about the moments that have shaped your life the most as an adult, my guess is that they were moments of perseverance. My guess is that they were really difficult times that you had to get through or that you chose to get through or that you suffered through. And on the other side, you came out new in some way, shape, or form. In fact, neuroscientists have found that after the age of 18, you only transform through crisis, that nothing else will change your life other than a moment where you persevere through it. Now, there is, there is no choice as to whether or not you will be shaped by the moments of perseverance that you find yourself in. That's just a given. That's just a given that, that you will come out different on the other side of that. But you do get to choose how it shapes you. And you do get to decide what type of person it shapes you into on the other side. See, when I go through trials right now, I am learning to train myself to have my gut reaction, my immediate instinct be, what is God wanting to transform in me right now? Because of this situation, because of this trial, because of this perseverance, because of this suffering, God, what is it that you are wanting to remove from me or refine in me as a result of going through this specific moment in my life. See, because here's the thing. I do know that God does not want to play games with your life. I do know that God's just not interested in throwing things at you to see if you can get through them, to see if you can handle them. He allows us to go through certain events to be refined so that we might come out different on the other side. See, perseverance is not the end game. The goal is not just to get out through the other side. The goal is to allow the perseverance to transform your life into the person that you were designed to become so that on the other side, you might be God-like. Because of how you chose to engage the perseverance. See, because have you ever noticed two people that go through the identical situation and they come out completely different on the other side? Yep. It's so interesting when I get to coach siblings who have had the exact same childhood growing up. Like literally, the exact same parents, exact same circumstances. And it's amazing how one sibling will come out thriving like on top of the world. And the other sibling will come out with all kinds of addictions and mental illness and suffering and struggles, having gone through the exact same situation that victims of the exact same type of abuse can go through and one thrives and the other one withers in the middle of this. See, because it is all about what you do in the storm and who you are looking at that transforms who you will be on the other side. It determines if your life moves towards a godlike destination or towards destruction in the middle of it. See, I think this is one of the reasons why God says to add godliness to your perseverance so that when you get out on the other side, all of that time and all of that energy and all of that suffering and all of that stress is not wasted. It's not something you simply endured, that it makes you godlike on the other side. It allows the storm to elevate your game when your eyes are fixed on him through the suffering. See, it all depends on whose voice you're listening to and whose eyes you're locked into in the middle of the storm. 
Because God promises that he will be with you in the rivers. He promises that he will be with you in the waters. He promises that he will be with you in the fire. But it is up to to us whether we are willing to identify him, to lock eyes on him, and to ask the question, what do you want to refine within me in the middle of this perseverance? That's up to us. His promise stands. It's up to us whether we choose to engage him in the storm and have it shaped us. See, some of you have been wasting your perseverance. See, some of you have actually stopped persevering, and now you're simply enduring the storm. And there's a big difference between enduring a storm and persevering through a storm. See, because some of you are just riding it out but not allowing it to shape you into the person you have become. So you have wounds, but you don't have growth on the other side. You have tons of pain, but you have no progress through the pain in the middle of it. You have all kinds of brokenness, but there is no savior in sight. And that has to do with what your eyes are locked into and what your ears are listening to, because I firmly believe that what God is saying to us is to stop wasting your wounds, to stop enduring, and to start persevering with godliness, because that will transform you on the other side. Because when you're in it with him, it will move you towards God-likeness, and you will start living the life that you were designed to live on the other side. Do not waste your storm. Battle. Persevere. Look for the God in the middle of the storm and allow his voice to shape you in it. Well, you know, when people are in it, people oftentimes will come to me or Marla or other leaders and ask, do you think this is a temptation or do you think this is a trial? Like, do you think God's tempting me right now, or do you think God's trying me right now? Here's what I think. I just assume that everything's a trial. I just just assume that everything God's like, hey, let's see if you're up for going through this so that you could become the person that's needed to have this future over here. Because right now, you're not ready for it. So we're going to have to go through the ringer to get you ready for this future that is so much higher than you could imagine. So I just imagine that everything is a trial, him seeing if you're up towards it. See, part of my job as a father, it's part of the job that I love and I know I'm going to hate later on in life, is it is part of my job as a father to ever increase the tension in my son's life. That's part of my job. It's to continually raise the bar to keep a healthy level of tension so that they can get up to it in their lives so that they will be able to eventually want to live their lives and no longer live with us. See, because when a father continues to raise the bar, it will allow the child to know what they're made of. It will allow them to know, oh, I'm capable of this. Oh, I'm capable of this. Now I'm capable of this. Now, now it's not abuse. It's just raising the bar, transforming what they know to be true of themselves. And as the bar is raised in their lives, they become more and more confident of the men that they are called to be. And that is what God does with us because when there is no tension, we have no clue what we're capable of. When there is not a bar being lifted, we have no clue if we're actually able to get through it on the other side. See, it only becomes a temptation when you do not allow it to shape you and you just give in to it. That's when it becomes a temptation. If you ever wondered, was that a temptation? It's up to you. If you're willing to get up to the tension that God is calling you to, or if you just allow it to wash over it. Because when you're in it, it will both reveal and refine who you are in the middle of it. It is the pressure cooker of life. I I love how Jesus talks about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were this very religious group of individuals who knew all of the right things to say and who knew all of the right ways to live and yet did none of them. (laughs) And this is what he says about them in Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. 
In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. See, what this informs me of is Jesus is much more concerned that your transformation happens from the inside out, not so that you can simply play the game. See, when you get into the storm, all of those little games that you've been playing, all of those little rituals that you have for yourself, all of those little things that keep yourself comfortable and keep yourself feeling good and keep yourself in control, they no longer work. That's what is so painful about the storm is that all of your winning strategies no longer win anymore. And so you find yourself going, I don't know how to get ahead in this. And I love those moments because what God informs us in those moments where none of our strategies are working, he's saying, I don't care about your strategies. I don't care about your performance. I don't care about how good you look in this moment. He is after you looking to him and allowing him to shape you and teach you. He is after your God-likeness that comes by persevering with him in leading, pressing into the goal to win the prize on the other side. And God won't leave you there. If you will allow him to, he will take that hypocrisy and turn it into something beautiful. He will fill that whitewashed tomb with something of substance so that your life once again feels whole because you've been transformed by him. I, I talked last week about that list of people that I had that had hurt me over my lifetime that I wrote down, and I was shocked when it got to 144. And, you know, I, I knew early on from a young age that I had this gift of communication. I couldn't fight to save my life, and I couldn't hit a ball, and I, I, I was horrible on the court, but I could use my words. And when I needed to, I could cut someone, not with a blade, but with a, a phrase or an insight or speaking something into them that I knew would create extreme damage. And it's really painful looking back at my life where I learned to use that as a weapon to cut people out of my own bitterness and out of my own insecurity and out of my, out of my own despair of what life was throwing at me. I learned to take all of the gifts that God had used me and use them as a way to attack other people as a way to cut people down, as a way to control and manipulate the situation. And I will never forget in the middle of going through that process how God had revealed to me all the moments where I had been in the ringer, where I had been in the storm with a relationship, and I attacked out of my own wounding. And I went in for the kill out of my own brokenness. And I went in for the maiming out of my own insecurities. And it wasn't until I was able to see, oh, I am in this perseverance. I am in this storm. I am in this struggle, this conflict, so that I could become godly, so that this could shape me into the person that I might become. And it was in that moment that I realized that this gift has to be used for good. It has to be used for compassion. It has to be used for healing. It has to be used to make the world a little better. Now, I fail all the time at this. I can't tell you how many times I'm typing something out on social media. I'm like, delete, 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 delete. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times a thought comes through my head, and it's like, no, 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 do, do not say that. It will feel good in the moment, <laughs> and that will create destruction in that person's life. See, because there is something that happens when you go through the storm and you become godlike, that all of a sudden, all of the strategies that were used to bring darkness into the world are now used to bring hope and light and beauty into the world. He will take the thing that you have been using as a weapon to hurt yourself and other people, and he will turn it around as the greatest gift that you have. This is the beautiful thing, is he takes your wounds and he turns them into the place that you minister from so that you might have the greatest impact on the world around you. See, this is what perseverance does. It's the, it's the friction that both removes what needs to be removed and reveals what needs to be revealed. I, I love how Paul in Ephesians gives us this, this process that we go through of what gets removed and revealed, 
of what gets removed and revealed as we go through this becoming godlike. He says, you were taught with regard to your former life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, this language is all throughout the scriptures. I know for some of you, the language of God-likeness is a little uncomfortable. It feels a little woo-woo. It feels a little new age, right? But when you start reading through the scriptures, the whole time, it's like you were designed to be God-like. You were designed to be God-like, not God, God-like. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but have some, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according their, to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as I, Christ God, forgave you. See, it's not enough to just persevere. That's beneath you. That's pointless. That, that really doesn't have a place other than becoming like the God who has called you into that struggle. See, what I love about eagles is that they fly into the storm where others fly away from it, and it elevates their position. That they actually use the storm, they use the struggle to elevate where they're going, to elevate their life, to elevate the position. And in the same way that when we are called to put on the things of God and to remove the things that hinder us from becoming like him, it elevates our position in all of the perseverance. That within the storm, it leverages the tension to move us toward the man or the woman that God has called us to be, to elevate your life. And this is what we are called to. You do not get to choose whether or not you struggle. You do not get to choose whether or not you must persevere. You do not get to choose whether or not this life throws you wounds, throws you blows. You do not get to choose whether or not you go through the storm. But you do get to choose how it shapes you. And you do get to choose the person that comes out on the other side. And it has everything to do with whose eyes you're locked into and whose ears you are listening to in the middle of it. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are the God who meets us in the storm and the struggle and the conflict. And God, for so many of us in the room, we've just had such a hard time seeing you. In fact, just right now, with your eyes closed, how many of you would say, you're in a storm, you're in a season that feels a little chaotic, and you've had a hard time seeing God? Would you just would raise your hand all over the room? If you're online, you can just raise your hand. And I, I'm going to pray right now for you. Jesus, I ask right now that you would give these individuals spiritual eyes to see. God, that you would open up any blinders that are over their hearts or their mind or their ears. God, spiritually, they might be able to see you in whatever's going on. God, that right now, you would even just give them an image in their mind 
about where you're standing and how you're standing and the position that you are over them. God, that they might see you in it. And I ask that you would give them the courage to fully step in, to keep eyes locked on you, to keep ears locked on you, knowing that on the other side, God-likeness is what you're calling out of them. Would you show them what you want to reveal, what you want to refine in them, God? God, and I ask that you would start crafting in them the men and the woman that you've called them to be for the future that you're setting them up for, God, in the middle of it. I thank you for your faithfulness in the middle of this, that you are calling them to a higher life than they are now. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I want to just say one more thing that this way of living, persevering towards godliness, cannot be done alone. And it's a lie that it can be done alone. In fact, it's probably the greatest lie that I'll just get through this, me and God. See, godlikeness comes when you invite other people to help shape you along the way that are godlike themselves. And so if you're in this alone, my, I know we, it, we sound like a broken record player here at Humanity Church, but I will be a broken record player until we die. Find a humanity group that you can walk alongside, that can shape you in the storm. I can guarantee you that if you try to go through this alone, God-likeness or the fullness of that on the other side is not going to be available to you. It can only become possible through other people. So today, go back to next steps, get connected to a group. We will figure out what works. If we don't have one, we'll start one around you, all right? But do this with other people, all right? Thank you, guys. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Humanity Church Podcast. We hope that this was a meaningful experience, and we look forward to connecting again next week for another conversation around what it looks like to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. Again, for more information about Humanity Church, you can visit us online at humanitychurch.com. And if you want to support the ongoing work here at Humanity Church, including this podcast, you can give online in about 10 seconds by texting the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977. Thanks and have an amazing week.